You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm writer, filmmaker, and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, actress, filmmaker, and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about reading nonfiction and interviewing author Caitlin Doty. But first... What are you reading, Bria? Oh, I'm reading a nonfiction book. Are you so happy? <gasps> Bam! Are you excited? <laughs> Hell yeah! It's called Time Travel, A History by James Glake. Glake? G-L-E-I-C-K. Clake, yeah. It's a nonfiction book about time travel, which doesn't make any sense because time travel doesn't exist that we know of. That we know of. But uh, it is about time travel, the history of time travel through various art forms, through it starts with like H. G. Wells talking about it yeah. and how he thought it could exist and sort of how it it manifests itself in pop culture. So literature and movies and then all the inventions that it, came up and I know why like, you're reading this yes yeah. <laughs> it's in part a research book for me but it's also and Bria's a, going to travel in time but it's also a really interesting book for a pe- person who reads a lot of science fiction who wants to read a nonfiction book it's actually the perfect sort of segue into what we're doing today yeah what are you reading Mallory I just started uh the witching hour by Anne Rice oh which I've never read any Anne Rice crazy right I don't know if I have either if I did, I read it in college, and I just don't remember very It's well. like such seminal horror fiction, and all I know about it is about a family of witches, and I fucking love witches. And it, it's it's funny that I'm uh, reading this book after our recent episode about book etiquette because I'm borrowing it from my boyfriend, and it's like wow. an ancient mass market paperback, and it's missing its cover. Whenever I, I like turn the page, I like use tweezers because I'm so afraid that it's just going to... Use like... tweezers? <laughs> no, not really. But <laughs> okay. I'm so nervous about it, but it's like... Because it's like a really, really old, crumbly book, which actually makes it perfect sense because it's for witches. Um, that totally makes sense. You know, in co- in college, when, uh, my one of my best friends was really into Anne Rice and had read all of her books. So I think I maybe had read one back then. I yeah. must have picked one up from her. I've seen Interview with a Vampire, and I know that Anne Rice is just like this, like one of the queens of horror. Mm-hmm. So it's like one of my weird holes in my in my reading life. So I'm really excited to to get into it. And it's a big fat book, and we're kicking off the Halloween season. So I thought. It's perfect. That's great. So we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Shelly, who, shout out, I went to college with. Fuck yeah, Shelly, Animal Care, North Shore Community College. Amazing. (laughs) Shelly wrote in about our book types episode. Just wanted to say how much I loved your response to this week's reader question, particularly your, your point about age-appropriate label not applying to adult readers. I'm a big believer in reading exactly what you want when you want, and you should never feel bad for reading what you enjoy, children's literature included. To me, it's no different from curling up on the couch and watching a Disney movie. They're technically geared towards kids, but adults can enjoy them too. That's a really good point. Uh, I'm a family studies major with a focus on family violence, so as you can imagine, a big portion of my day is spent reading nonfiction books and case studies about horrific acts within a family environment. Suffice to say, the stuff's disturbing, so when I crawl into bed at the end of the day, I often need a comfort read to help get to sleep. This might be whatever novel I'm currently reading, or I might turn to an old children's lit favorite. They're super therapeutic for me, and I just want people to know that they don't have to feel bad for choosing Roald Dahl over Nabokov. You can read one, both, or neither, as long as you enjoy it and you're reading for you. Hell yeah, Shelly. That's nice. Hell yeah, Shelly. We totally co-sign all of that. Seriously, no we're no books news are allowed in, on reading glasses. Exactly. We also ran a bookmark poll on Twitter. Which blew the fuck <laughs> up. We, uh, the choices were dog-eared, bookmark like bookmark you buy in the store, scrap of paper, or flap of just jacket. And like... 
1,300 people, like... People are very, very... They feel very strongly about their bookmarks. People have a lot of opinions. And a uh, scrap of paper won out just barely at 43%. Bookmark was 42 A lot of people were like, nobody actually uses bookmarks. But listen, bitch. Apparently I have 42% like, <laughs> of our listeners listen I have a bookmarks. lot of bookmarks. And I love using my bookmarks. Uh, Dust Jacket was only uh, 4%, but I guess because you have to be reading a hardcover for that. And uh, Dog Ear was uh, 11%. Which is more than I thought it would be, people dog-earing yeah. their pages. People have a lot of opinions about dog-earing. It was like, yes, dog-earing, or no, kill yeah, all the really, dog-earing yeah, people. Yeah, they like, literally want to like, mur- like murder every dog-eared person. Yeah, it's like a it's like a gang war in there. It's really intense. And we may or may not be designing some uh, special bookmarks of our own. So, so stay tuned. So keep an tuned. eye out for that. Yeah, if you're interested in reading Glass's bookmarks, uh, tweet at us and let us know, because we uh, would like to get your opinions on that, guys. As always, we want to thank Danielle, who runs our Facebook group, and Chrissy and Rachel, who moderate our Goodreads page. And if you have feedback that you would like to send us, you can send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. And before we talk nonfiction, we're going to take a quick break. How's it going, everyone? I'm Oliver Wang. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. We have a brand new show on the Maximum Fun Network that we'd love to share with you. It's called Heat Rocks. Morgan, we should probably explain what a heat rock is. It is a banger, a fire track, true fire. Right, dope album. Each episode, we will bring on a special guest to join us to talk about one of their heat rocks. It might be a musician. A writer. Maybe a scholar. I mean, I would have been happy to just talk to you about your heat rocks, but this is a different show. Yeah, so. I think people might enjoy hearing maybe the guests instead. To do that, you'll have to go to MaximumFun.org. So if you want to talk about hot music, you should check us out. Heat Rocks. This week, we're talking nonfiction. Nonfiction books are an often neglected part of the reading world, but they're not just for dads. They're not just doorstop books about World War II. They, they could be. They could be. But, you know, they're memoirs, biographies, histories, science books, self-help books, all kinds of different topics. Nonfiction books can be just as much fun, just as much of an escape as novels and short stories. But wh- why read nonfiction and where do you start? So a little bit, some facts about reading nonfiction. In 2013, there was a study, and the average kid only read four minutes of nonfiction a day. What? Four minutes per on average. That's one song. It's really not very much at all. Also, the, the amount of television they watched was staggering, and I can't remember what number that was. For students and children, studies have shown that reading nonfiction is very important, particularly for kids who are considered at risk or have learning disabilities or you, or English is their second language. It's also good for students whose lives um, may not mirror characters that you normally see in popular fiction books. So maybe you're not Huck Finn, which yeah. most of us are not Huck Finn. Um, but you do like space travel. You can read the book on space travel, and it actually is much better in engaging your mind, and it's great for a way to see things that you like mirrored in literature and a way to get kids interested in things since they don't necessarily see themselves as a Huck Finn. Yeah. I don't know why Huck Finn is my example. It's fine. <laughs> are you a Huck Finn or are you a space traveler? I uh, I mean, I'm not super into space, but I guess I'm not super into Huck Finn either. You only have two choices, Mallory. <laughs> all are right, you a I'm Huck going Finn to space. Or are you a space traveler? I'm going to space. I'm going to space. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing about all this is that I can't find that much information on the importance of reading nonfiction as an adult, which was really interesting to yeah. me. Almost all of it is centered around kids and adolescents. But I think the same ideas apply 
to both kids and adults. I think the key is to remember that nonfiction books are not necessarily textbooks, and a lot of them are not really dry. They're not boring. They're very interesting, and you can choose one about a subject that you're actually interested in, which is sort of the advice to children that people kept giving. Yeah. So an example might be if you're interested in current events. A lot of people are these days. Maybe check out Hillary Clinton's autobiography that she wrote, just wrote, or memoir. I guess it's a memoir. Yeah, what um, happened. Yeah, so that that's that's a great way to learn things, but it's also, you it might be something that you're interested in anyway. Yeah, and the current events thing is particularly great because right now, as we know, getting on the internet is just a hot garbage fire. If you want to know about Hillary Clinton, but you don't want to wade through all the crap on the internet, you, it's a more peaceful and focused way to learn stuff and to, you know, get involved. And, and get, it's a more measured, patient way to learn about current events that's a little less stressful, I think. Yeah, I think that's great. And reading nonfiction can be great for your reading life, too. Nonfiction books, I think, are a great palate cleanser. Like, if you just read a book you loved so hard that you're not ready to spend any time with new characters, you feel like you're cheating on them, you miss them, <laughs> read a nonfiction book. It's, that's what I do. It'll get you in a totally different headspace. And if you like reading two books at once, it's a good pick to have one be nonfiction and the other one be fiction. You're not confusing the plot lines. You're not confusing the characters as much. And my favorite thing, it gives you some great facts to bother your significant other with. Yeah, or anybody. Just a stranger walking down the street. Let them know. No, but oh, the best part is when you're in bed and you're like, Guess what? <laughs> Can I tell you something? Guess guess what? And then they're trapped. They can't they can't leave. <laughs> yeah, so nonfiction books are great in between books. So you can leave one in your purse or your bag. Or for me, I leave one on my Kindle at all times, which is on my phone. So if I'm just sitting there at the DMV, if I'm sitting there waiting for someone to show up to my lunch because I'm always 10 minutes early because I have a weird father that taught me to do that, <laughs> uh, then I will sit there and read 10 minutes of my nonfiction book rather than get into the book that I have been reading and get distracted by, you know, fantasy world that I'm, that I'm living in. So it's not plot-based. It's easier to go longer periods without reading it because you don't have to remember all the stuff, too. So you, yeah. can, you can come back to it and even though you haven't read it in two weeks. That's why I always leave my, Nat G- my, my, issue, my current issue of National Geographic in my purse. There you go. Love that. So, what, Mallory, what, what is your take on nonfiction? How do you deal with nonfiction and put it into your reading habits? I love nonfiction. I, I, I like to normally read several books at once. What I normally do for my nonfiction is uh, I have a, it as my workout audiobook sense you know you know nonfiction. you because it's a little bit less and and i keep saying plot based but we don't i I, we're not saying that nonfiction books are not compelling but because it's more it's nonfiction. you know it's less like oh you're gonna miss a line you're gonna miss a a a key plot point you're gonna miss some foreshadowing and so if i'm working out i I don't feel like if i miss this if i'm like you know i don't know running really hard and miss miss a sentence i'm not I, i don't feel like i'm thrown out of the book and i'm like oh wait i don't know what's going on this is also a good compelling reason to go work out because you're like we're like i really gotta find out more about what happened to hillary clinton on the campaign trail or whatever you know it's a good reason to inspire you to go back and work out more oh totally and it's a i i like i mean workout tip i like it because it keeps me distracted from the fact that i hate to work out even though i do it all the time mallory's (laughs) workout tips that's what you come here for oh yeah (laughs) mallory's mole person workout tips uh when you're digging in that tunnel and you're really tired put on a memoir what about you bria I, I do try to read nonfiction. I probably don't read nearly as much as you do, but I like to use it because my job involves so many fictional things. So um, when I'm on a set, when I'm doing a lot of writing, when I'm writing a script or trying to get through something, uh, or I'm at a film festival, I love to bring have a nonfiction book to read so I'm not 
getting my plot points confused. I know that sounds crazy, but I really do have that. You're like issue. on your on set, and you're like, wait, am I in space? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, if I'm acting on a movie, and then the main, I don't want to get confused with the main character in the book that I'm reading uh, with the character that I'm playing, which I know seems crazy, but no, it does no, no. happen because you're kind of in this fictional world. Anyway. Yeah, you get really immersed. Yeah, so um, I love bringing a nonfiction book to keep my mind active. Recently, I was on a shoot. And I read Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl by I Carrie love Brownstein, that book. Which is a great book, but it was oh, also sorry. a great escape from the set I was on because it was like strong women going going through strong women going through problems and also she loves animals like yes. me. And like, oh god, yeah, that is a wicked Bria book. Yeah, it was really good. And it was a good a good escape from the from what I was doing. Yeah. If you go in my apartment, I have like strategic books placed in certain like I have my breakfast book and I have my current read and I have my purse <laughs> breakfast book. Breakfast book is just covered in like syrup. Basic. Well, no, because I have my book weight that keeps it open while oh. so I can I can eat with two hands. We haven't discussed we haven't had a book tech about the book weight yet. We got to talk about the book weight. Now. My uh, people do people we? Re- people do really we? responded do to we? the book brush, so I feel like we got to do a sequel for my book Guys, weight. You're just encouraging her. You're encouraging <laughs> Mallory. <laughs> but I like to keep a nonfiction book as my like read before bed book. Oh, yeah. uh, cuz I don't I have I've talked about this on the show. I have really, really bad insomnia, and it's very, very difficult for me to get to sleep and and stay asleep. Uh, so I try not to read in bed. One of the tips they give you is like try to have bed be only sleep in bed. Don't do other things. No snacking. No reading. But I keep a non if I need to read in bed um, to con- like calm my brain down a little bit. I keep a nonfiction book because it's it, it is less like sucks you in. You know, it just gives you some facts, and but you're not sitting there going, oh, what's gonna happen? Oh no. Ah. So I, I like you know, right now I'm reading a book on the history of cocktails because I'm a big cocktail nerd and it's nice to like have some facts and then you can just sort of like read a little chunk of it and I don't feel like the need I'll read like you know a chapter of it every night and I don't feel like I need to stay up and read you know a hundred pages of it I just get a little chunk of facts that I can then go tell my boyfriend and drive him insane with and fall promptly to sleep then fall promptly (laughs) to sleep that's that that's the goal Okay, so how do you find nonfiction books that are not dry and boring? If you are associating, you're not interested in the history of cocktails, you're not interested in time travel or Carrie Brownstein. Which is crazy. I can't imagine. I, I, want, I want a book about those three things combined. Yes. Can someone make a Carrie Brownstein book where she goes She's to a space? bartender in space! <laughs> Oh, man, that'd be so cool. So, Mallory, what's your advice about this? How do you think people can find nonfiction books that are not dry and boring about the things they're interested in? This is going to seem super obvious, but it's like whatever you're interested in. And honestly, no matter how specific it is, you can find a book about the history or the science of it. If you're you're like, man, I just love Q-tips so much. Look up Q-tips. Who knows? There probably is a book about it. Probably a book about Q-tips. Ask your local librarian, bookseller, or even just Google Q-tip book. You just never know. There's so much out there. I love micro histories and micro sciences, like books that are about a very, very specific thing. Like I have a book on the history of personal hygiene and it's like, which is, it's so interesting, but you would, you would. And then people discovered how to brush their teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Washing your hands. (laughs) And I have a book on the history of books. It's great. It's literally called The Book by Keith. Uh, Keith Houston. So, I cannot think of a more Mallory book than a book, book called The Book. About books. About books. Just go. Get, go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pointing at the door and telling Mallory she has to leave now. <laughs> it's uh, such a Mallory book. It's such a Mallory book. What do you do, Bria? Um, for me, I do think the library is a really good resource for stuff like this because... I find that a lot of nonfiction books, I don't read all of them, and I often will not return to them as often, and I don't usually lend them out, so it is a good place for me to go get a book, check it out. I just recently read a book about the history of special effects 
um, that I got from the library. And I, I don't really need to own that book. And it was giant. And I just got it. And then I returned it after I was done. So the library is a great place. I would agree with that. Oh, and also, if you what about if there's something that you want to learn? There's so many great how-to books out there, books on crafting, cookbooks. You know, those, are, those can be just as fun to read. Even if you're not, like, in the process of cooking while you're reading the cookbook, it's kind of cool to read about a craft or something that you, you want to get into. And as we said before on the show, you can check out all the awards lists. Like, National Book Award has has an award for the nonfiction books, the best nonfiction book every year. So, yeah, just go to just Google National Book Award nonfiction and you can the, see the top. I forget how many books get nominated. I think it's like five, six, seven. And, and just see what the top ones for the year are. Yeah. So, Mallory, do you have a recommendation? What's your What's your favorite nonfiction? Mary fucking Roach. Of course it is. <laughs> Ma- uh, I wor- Mary Roach is my favorite nonfiction author. She's um and she's a huge influence actually on the book that I'm writing right now. She's like my footnote queen of the world, and she does these like, wicked deep. Wicked well researched dives into taboo subjects like sex and what happens to your body when you donate to science. She it's so compelling and so funny. And I normally read them in one or two sittings because they're so great. And if I actually gift Stiff by her oh. very frequently because uh, Stiff is the one I haven't read of hers. But that's I read the, that's the, the one. donating your body to science one. But when people are like, I don't really like nonfiction. I think it's boring. I'm like, here's Mary Roach. She will blow your mind. And what about you, Bria? Oh, the book I return to a lot is Me by Katherine Hepburn, which is a memoir. I think I return more to memoirs than anything else. The books that I would recommend nonfiction would be memoirs. I love Brene Brown, as we've covered on the show. And now that I'm out about that. Now you're you're out of the Brene Brown closet. Yeah. And then I also, I just, I do like memoirs generally. I I love memoirs. I just read Caitlin Doty's book that we are about, who we're about to talk to. And it was incredible. Yeah. Both of her books. I mean, she has a new book coming out that you should check out. But Smoke It's in Your Eyes, her first book, is incredible. Yeah. Highly recommended. And a New York Times bestseller. It's a book about a mortician that's a New York Times bestseller, which makes makes you realize that it obviously is very accessible Mm -hmm. and interesting and is... It's dark, but not so dark that those of you who are scared of horror books should not pick it up. Yes, although it gives you some great weird uh, weird uh, facts to tell uh, tell your friends. Exactly. So you can send your nonfiction recommendations to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. And before we talk to author Caitlin Doty, we're going to take a quick break. Every week on Inside Pop, we take turns recommending something great from the world of pop culture to each other. And in the month of October, we're going big, very big, with the Big Sell 30. Every day for 30 days, we're going to suggest some type of pop culture to check out. Things that may not be on your radar, but will be well worth trying. From TV to music to movies and more, the Big Sell 30 is as irresistible as a Jedi mind trick. As convincing as an Annalise Keating closing argument. And as seductive as Miguel singing a ballad shirtless and slightly sweaty. Follow us on Twitter at Pop Insiders for daily big sells and listen to Inside Pop every week for big sells from some special guests. The Big Sell 30 starts October 1st and runs every day of the month on Inside Pop. So we're here with author of Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and the new book from Here to Eternity, Caitlin Doty. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about From Here to Eternity and exactly how many airline miles you racked up while writing it? Because it seemed like you traveled a lot. I did travel a lot. From Here to Eternity, I'm a mortician and I'm a death acceptance advocate. And primarily, I've been concentrating on the Western world and specifically American funeral practices and why we have this very strained, distant 
relationship with death and the dead body in America. And so for this book, I decided that I was going to travel all over the world to see what other countries were doing with their dead and their funeral rituals and see if there was something we could learn from it. And I traveled so much to do this. I really should try and do a diagram and figure out exactly how many airline miles it was. But there are so many small regional airlines that I took that unfortunately wasn't all on one airline. So I can't say that I'm, you know, I don't, I don't get to stay in the fancy airline lounges because I've racked up so many miles or anything. They're just scattered through all these different companies. Oh yeah, that totally makes sense. So Kayla, what are you reading right now? I am reading, so I'm almost exclusively a nonfiction girl, but right now I'm smack in the middle of this really long novel called The Idiot by Alif, ba- Alif Bautamon, I think is her name. And it's oh, it's so just good. stunning. It's such, such a good book. And every once in a while, I'll read an amazing piece of fiction and I'll just sit there and go, why am I not just always reading fiction? This is so good. And this is one of those books that causes that feeling in me. I love that you're reading nonfiction because this entire episode is about nonfiction. Oh, cool. Give nonfiction its, its due. Uh, yeah. And so do you have any other authors or non, uh, just nonfiction books you would recommend for people to read who are like dipping their toe into nonfiction and they normally read fiction? Yeah. Oh, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I, I read a lot of death books and death nonfiction and anthropology and science for research, but I also try and read, especially when I'm going on book tour or between writing books, I try and read nonfiction for pleasure as well. And something that I've been really interested in lately is nonfiction, like true crime, but not blatant true crime, like a sort of cerebral take on true crime and our obsession with true crime. So one book I just read, uh, Maggie Nelson, who wrote The Argonauts, one of her earlier book books was The Red Parts, which is about the murder of her aunt and the whole process and the trial and everything she felt while it was going on. And I thought that was such a great read. I also just read Janet Malcolm, who's a New Yorker writer, wrote this really important book called The Journalist and the Murderer which I had never heard of, that was about journalistic ethics in reporting crime and reporting on criminals and getting to know criminals as you're reporting on them. And both I just blew through in like a night or two. They're just quick reads and really fantastic. So speaking of journalism, what percentage uh, what percentage of writing a nonfiction book is journalism and what percentage is research and how much do you feel like you can put yourself in there? Ooh, this is <laughs> that's a really good question. I... There's so there's journalism and there's anthropology and to a certain extent there's memoir and all of those genres have their own rules. If you really want to call yourself a journalist or you really want to call yourself a cultural anthropologist or anthropologist. And I decided pretty early on that I wasn't going to put myself in those categories for fear of uh, retribution for breaking any rules. So uh, a memoirist is a little more loosey-goosey with what you can do, but I always try and combine those things. I want to have a trusty narrative voice that you believe when I'm describing what's going on that it, that it really happened, mostly, as I said. Um, I want it to be anthropological. I want you to learn about, you know, real things going on in a culture, in context. And I also want to just be able to share my feelings as they come up and share what I'm feeling and share what I'm feeling as a, you know, practitioner and funeral home owner in California versus standing in the middle of rural Indonesia 
where their people are cleaning the mummies of their dead loved ones and be able to compare and contrast the feelings that I'm having and, and what I think is going on and be allowed to do all of that. And I think that I try to make the books that I write a mix of all of those things. But the only reason I can do that is because I've not put myself in any of those categories. I, I think that's great. Actually, one thing I really liked about From Here to Eternity is you really put, you put your emotions and even like, dare I say, awkwardness into it, where mm-hmm. you're like, this was awkward for you, or this felt uncomfortable and weird. And I think that made it much more approachable. And for people who don't necessarily read a lot of nonfiction, it was like, you know, a lot of storytelling and narrative as well as like, you know, all the facts of the things that were going on. Yeah, thank you. I It is really awkward. And I think, you know, white girl travels around the world and has opinions could go so wrong. So I try and highlight my own awkwardness, my own awkwardness with being there and being a part of a ritual, but standing outside of the ritual and just trying to acknowledge those things. So it doesn't, it doesn't take over the book as like, oh, should she really be doing this? If I say like, hey, I get it. I'm trying to report, but also have feelings to not intrude. And I'm also struggling with all of these bigger questions. And I hope you'll just come along with me in that struggle. So do you think it's easier for people to read a book about subjects like death and other taboo things as opposed to like, you know, watching a movie or some other form of media? I do think that. I did an interview, one of the first interviews that I did for this new book was with Vice, and the Vice reporter, in a very Vice reporter sort of way, said, okay, so you have illustrations in this book, why not just put all real pictures, 100% real pictures of the mummies and the dead bodies? And my response was, yeah, maybe some people would be able to handle that and think it's really interesting. I think it's really interesting. But you have to think about a wider audience. And I'm supposed to, as someone who's trying to work on death acceptance, I'm supposed to make this accessible for everyone. And in that sense, illustrations is easier than pictures. And I think the same goes for books. I think with books, it's an easier way in and you have more time to build me up as a narrator that you trust and a narrator that you are willing to do hard things with and face hard things with. Whereas if it was like, we're a TV show and we're going to show you the craziest mummies you've ever seen, you know, that, that takes us into an exploitative place. It takes us into a place where the, my intentions wouldn't be as clear. So I think that the book really allows the time for those, those more difficult things that you might be afraid of to unfold and hopefully if I'm doing it right I'm you know swaddling you like a wee babe to, to face your mortality um that's amazing um, so we want to hear a little bit about your your reading habits particularly your nonfiction reading habits so do you take notes do you highlight what how do you read a nonfiction book oh yeah if it's if it's a nonfiction book purely for pleasure um I can probably get through it without without highlighting but if it's a nonfiction book for research, uh, you know, a, a historian's book or an anthropologist's book, and mark the shit out of it. And for this most recent book, there's one book that I really want that's this huge, thick cultural history of death. And if you buy it, because it's an academic book, if you buy it in hardcover, it's a crazy amount of money, a really, really large amount of money. So I ended up getting it on Kindle and it was the most frustrating experience of my life to have this Kindle and not be able to just draw and write all over it and mark up the margins was 
taught me that like any amount of money is worth it to get the physical copy when a book I'm using for research. <laughs> so do you have a book that you like to gift to people? Uh, yeah, yes, I do. Um, probably the number one book that I give away to people is Ernest Becker's The Denial of Death. This was the book that inspired me. It was a Pulitzer Prize winner in the 70s. And it's all about why we fear death and why death is such a motivator for all of our actions. And I will say that when I give it to people, I tell them that the middle of the book is not as good and doesn't hold up as well. But if you read just the first five chapters at the beginning and like the last three chapters at the end, which is an easier ask anyway, um, you'll, I think you'll get a lot out of it. That's awesome. So if people want to find you online, where should they find information about you? Oh, um, we actually have, uh, my main website is The Order of the Good Death, um, but uh, we actually have a new website that's just caitlindody.com that has all the tour dates for the new book that I'm going on and how to buy the book and basic info about me. So if you're looking for the like very accessible starter pack as to who I am, caitlindody.com is probably where you want to go. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Now we're going to solve a bookish problem from one of our listeners. We've had a few people write in to ask, what do you do when you grow out of books you loved as a kid? Do you keep them? Should you try to read them again down the line? Is it even possible to grow out of a book that was that important to you as a kid? Mallory, what do you do about this? I think as someone who is like a lifelong reader and has a lot of books that were really important to me as a kid, I actually do think it's totally possible to grow out of books that you read when you were when you were a kid when you were a teenager because you have to remember reading a book is a different experience every single time because half of the equation is you you with more life experience and maturity is totally different from 12 year old you that wanted to grow up to be a dog which i wanted to do when i was a kid I was oh like, me too i was like i'm gonna grow up to be a you dog know, when i played house when i was a kid i was just telling my boyfriend this uh, when i played house when i was a kid i always uh would want to be the dog yeah why like not? everyone like they'd be like you're the mom you're the baby and, and i'm I'd the be dog like, i'll be the dog yeah <laughs> oh no, totally totally so i <laughs> we're friends now yeah this is why we're the friends be girls who wanted to grow up to be, be dogs, dogs club. club yes this is 100 percent us <laughs> i also uh, always wish that when i had babies they would be puppies but that's a whole different that's whole a whole different, different problem we should talk about another time <laughs> with my therapist so i do like keeping books that meant a lot to me as a kid but i only do i only keep the ones that have reread value to me i reread the harry potter books i reread the golden compass series every year i reread lord of the rings but there are a lot of books that i gave up like i am when i was a teenager i was crazy about the legend of drist series by ra salvatore which is know. like super nerd it's like a, it's a high fantasy series and there's like 20 something books in it and i read all of them and i actually if you are a legend of drist fan guys i have drist scimitaris tattooed on my chest wow i love those books but i knew it, it's one of those books they're like really cheesy fantasy and i just knew that i was never going to reread them because i would go back and be like oh this is this is pretty cheesy <laughs> and i didn't want i don't want that tainted for me so when I a few years ago, I had when I moved out, when I moved from Providence, Rhode Island to Brooklyn, um, a few friends of mine took my entire series and some of them were even signed. But I was like, I know that I'm never going to reread the Crystal Shard trilogy. Just take them. So I think that you should if you are going to keep them, you don't have to feel obligated to keep all of them. But if you do want to keep them, only keep the ones that either are very beautiful or you have space for or you think you're going to reread and take the ones that you don't think you're going to reread or get anything out of and donate them so kids can have them and other kids can have the, that same experience experience. What do you do, Bria? Yeah, I second this idea of donating those books. Giving your favorite books that you read as a kid to a kid 
is really great because you can think about that there's another kid who's going to yeah. be enjoying this. It's, it's so sort cute. of like the cycle of childhood. More and small life. girls who want to grow up to be dogs. That's the whole, and that's the whole idea about a gift, right? It's yeah. just you make it about yourself. Yeah. You think, uh, <laughs> this is a really good thing for me for you to read this book. Um, so I actually have a surprising answer to this question, which is that for a person who throws away basically everything and worries about being a hoarder, I have a sentimental place for some of my favorite books as a kid, and I think other people do too. And I don't think you need to keep every copy of every book you read as a kid, but having a copy of a book that you really liked I think is a good thing. Thing. It's a good way to connect with who you were, maybe to recenter yourself. You know, you look at that book and you say, remember how I used to like Goodnight Moon? And you kind of think of your childhood self in this nice way and you remind yourself you're not as cool as you actually think you are. Nobody's and- too cool for Goodnight Moon, okay? <laughs> no fucking person is too okay, cool for Goodnight cool- Moon. Maybe you're cooler now than you think you are. I don't know. Um, whatever it is that you need to do to, c- to connect with your childhood self, which I know sounds real corny, I no, think that I that kind important. of stuff is good to have around. I do. I don't keep much, but I do try to keep things that are like, you know, sentimental to me and remind me of who I was at another time, I think that kind of stuff is good to have around. Oh, totally. That's actually part of the reason why I love rereading the Golden Compass series so much because every every time I read it, it's a different version of me and I get something different out of it, but I also get to be like, oh, I remember when 11-year-old me read this and just thought the scene was super fun and, and, and like I didn't understand all the dark subtext that was going on. So it's kind of nice to like, it's almost like you're checking in with yourself. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think that the point is though you don't need to keep three bookshelves of this no like there's probably one or two books like i can't remember 99 percent of the books i read as a kid but i but you know if there's one or two books that you remember that you that reminds you of who you were at one time i think it's okay to keep a handful of them yes and but also it's totally possible to outgrow them yes yeah you can let them you you can outgrow them and you can let them go and you shouldn't feel bad about it yeah yeah you don't need to have a children's library in your house yeah especially if you don't have kids yeah then people are going to think you're a murderer. <laughs> if we want us to solve your reader problem, send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. We're going to leave you with this episode's book connection, a way to connect with other readers online with the use of this week's hashtag. And this week, it's hashtag nonfiction love. Instagram or tweet your favorite nonfiction book or author at us. We want to see them all and we'll do the same. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's really great for us, and it helps us to reach more listeners and readers and readers who are listeners and listeners who are readers. <laughs> you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast and on Instagram at readingglassespodcast. And you can always follow along on our bookish adventures using the general hashtag readingglasses. Thanks for listening. And thanks, thanks for, for reading. reading. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.